Hi, my name is Daniil Hartman, and I'm the president of the Shalom Hartman Institute. Today is Tuesday, February 23rd, 2021, and this is For Heaven's Sake, a podcast from the Hartman Institute's I Engage project. In each edition of For Heaven's Sake, Yossi Klein Halevi, senior research fellow at the Hartman Institute here in Jerusalem, and myself will be discussing a current issue central to Israel and the Jewish world. Then Alana Steinhain, director of the Hartman faculty in North America, will explore with us how classic Jewish sources can enrich our understanding of the issue. At the Hartman Institute, we approach the Israel conversation as we do all our conversations, from a perspective of Jewish values seeking broad and deep engagement. Our aim is to encourage a serious and respectful conversation on Israel across political lines, promoting understanding and strengthening Jewish people. Let's begin. The power of words, especially in the context of a joke and a skit. When does a joke stop being funny and become instead offensive and even dangerous? That's a question many in the Jewish community are debating. After a joke was told on Saturday Night Live by comedian Michael Che, chiding Israel's claim to success at vaccinating 50% of Israelis. Israel is reporting that they vaccinated half of their population, said Che, the show's co-head writer. And I'm going to guess it's the Jewish half, implying falsely that Israel is only vaccinating Jews against corona, when in fact all of Israel's citizens, Jews and Palestinians alike, were vaccinated. Jewish organizations angrily denounced the joke as anti-Semitic, noting that Israel was in fact vaccinating its Arab as well as Jewish citizens. But others noticed that the joke did point to a real problem. Israel's failure to vaccinate Palestinians in the West Bank, who aren't Israeli citizens, but who are nevertheless under Israel's occupation. And anyway, the counter-argument went, jokes aren't meant to be literal. The incident raises serious questions that go beyond humor. Are we Jews being oversensitive? Does the transition from powerlessness to power require us to develop a thicker skin and to recognize that with attention will come criticism, not to speak of biting jokes? More substantively, Assuming that we're not treating Palestinians, certainly on the West Bank, the same way we treat Israeli Jews and Palestinians, do we really have the right to be so outraged? A joke which has a kernel of truth may hurt, but it is the kernel, not the joke, which is the issue. But is there another side to the argument? Leaving aside claims of anti-Semitism and blood libels, which are rarely productive and often viewed as Jews get out of jail card to silence criticism, is there something problematic, unjust, or even insidious about this joke? Yossi, it's wonderful to be with you again. Great to be with you, Daniel. You know, Judaism has a long tradition of worrying about the danger of words. We never accepted the dichotomy that sticks and stones are dangerous and words are not. Words could kill, according to the Jewish tradition. What's your take on this Saturday Night Live joke? Is it a mere joke or is it something more complicated? Daniel, what you're really saying is that we have two parts of our tradition that are conflicting. There's the part of our tradition that tells us, watch every word, be careful, weigh your words. Words can kill. And then there's a part of our tradition which is irreverent, which says that jokes are sacred. You don't censor jokes. That's so deep in Jewish culture. Jewish humor is irreverent. And so for us to be censoring jokes, turning a joke into a cause celeb, it feels like it's negating our being. But 
I'm feeling a butt coming, There's Yoss. A <laughs> What's the butt, Yoss? <laughs> the butt is that when a political joke is told on the most important political satirical show in America, a show that shapes the culture of a whole generation, and this joke portrays the Jews as racists and comes out of a concerted campaign to portray the Jewish state as apartheid. And it is based not just on a misconception, but an outright lie that Israel distinguishes between its Jewish citizens and its Arab citizens. Then you're really dealing with, I think, more the warning of the first part, which is, wise man, watch your words. Words can kill. And I fear that we are in a situation today where our most basic legitimacy is being challenged. And it's not a joke anymore. And that was not the intention. The intention was to deny our legitimacy and to turn Israel into an apartheid state. When you talk about the Jews, there's a lot of baggage when you accuse the Jews or the Jewish state of discriminating against non-Jews, of pushing to the head of the line, of hogging life-saving medicine. There are associations here. There's a reason why the Jewish antenna were quivering on this one. And it's no win. This whole thing is no win. Whatever we do, we've lost. And so I don't know. I don't know, but I can tell you that it hit me the way it hit many American Jews in a very raw spot. I hear you. You know, let's delve into this a little bit. I appreciate the frustration. You're saying, I, I can't win, but I was hurt. And I know I can't win. There is no doubt that there is now a quickly spreading, self-assumed narrative that Israel is white supremacist, that Israel is racist, that Israel is apartheid. And then you don't even have to argue it anymore. It's almost a given. And when something becomes a conceptual given in a society, it's not clear how do you combat it. You're on the defensive from the beginning. But I think part of the issue is that separate from this overall narrative, it didn't hit me as deeply as you because I don't feel as vulnerable as I don't come into the public sphere feeling as vulnerable. I know that there is a dangerous narrative out there, and I feel I'm going to combat it. I'm not coming to the conversation feeling, oh, the next joke is going to be the tipping point. I don't feel that way. And I don't see every American who makes a joke as my enemy, as part of this larger cabal against the Jews. I don't know what the right word is, but this larger coalition. There isn't a direct line connecting each one of them, and that this is meant to be one more claim in this larger position. I come with a position of, I'm strong, Israel's strong, Jews in America are strong, and I could take a joke. I think part of the victory of 21st century Jewish life is that we have to be careful you and I, we've spoken before about our different history, our different past, and how that shapes us. I'm not belittling the fear, and we should be careful. But at the same time, I think 
We can't be as strong as we are and as sensitive as we are all at the same time. That imbalance doesn't work. I don't think it's fair. I don't think it's fair to demand it for an American public. Israel can't be as strong and as successful as it is. Israel can't say, yes, we are the world leader in vaccines. You're all at between 2%, 10%. We're now, we're at seven, almost at 70% vaccinating everybody from the age of 16 and above. We can't say that without somebody saying, you know, okay, I hear your great success, but, you know, was there something else? What about the other side? Is there something? And part of Israel is about welcoming that conversation. And I, I think the portrayal of over-vulnerability, while I understand it, I don't know if it helps us, Yossi. You know, Daniil, even though I'm not where you are, I love your position. And the reason that I love your position is that it's coming from a very deep Zionist place. And what you're trying to tell Jews like me is, Yossi, we won. Zionism actually worked. We're living the dream. Yeah. <laughs> and so, okay, so there's a comedian on Saturday Night Live, and he said something annoying that's offensive even. But look at us. Look what we've achieved. And part of me deeply resonates with that message of Zionist empowerment. I think, Daniil, there's a middle position that I'm groping for. As I listen to you and as I listen to the inner panicking voice in me that I'm trying to suppress, there's some middle ground here that we need to find as a people, where we need to say our starting point is we won, we're strong, look at us. We are the world leaders in vaccination. So you're carping, you're nitpicking, as we say in Spanish, gesundheit. Mm -hmm. And uh, okay, but there's another part. When the New Yorker publishes a piece accusing Israel in pre-67, in sovereign Israel, of being an apartheid state, when B'Tselem accuses Israel of Jewish supremacy. And think of that language. Think of what white supremacy means in today's America. And then when on Saturday Night Live, a leading comedian accuses us of racism against our own citizens, of not protecting our own citizens from a life and death situation, something's happening here that we need to pay attention to. I appreciate that it is foolish to say there's nothing to worry about. I appreciate that too. And even though that's my instinct, I hear you and I embrace it. But at the same time, let's shift very briefly to the issue of effectiveness. Like even if you're right, there is what to be afraid of. It's not nothing. The assumption that there isn't a very sophisticated coalition who has a long-term play to use words and to shift the core narrative of instead of Israel as our democratic ally in the Middle East, Israel is the personification of everything that's bad in America that we want to overcome. I hear it. We have to worry about it. And I really think we have to have a serious conversation, which I look forward to it in another podcast. But on this issue, with a comedian on Saturday Night Live, if you agree that it's a no-win, is the Jewish community's its own worst enemy here? If we bring out the big guns on every offensive, quasi-offensive comment, joke, I think we're shooting ourselves in the foot. We need 
strategy. There needs to be an internal conversation within Jewish organizations. How do we deal with this moment? Because what we're doing now, and here I agree with you completely, we're flailing. Oh, there, there's an attack, and there's an attack. You know, there's no doubt that Jay's argument is factually incorrect, and whether it's connected to a larger narrative or not, is built under the presupposition that Israel is Jews and Palestinians are, are the discriminated one. Not recognizing 20% of Israelis are Palestinians, Arabs. You know, Israel's not a perfect democracy, but it's not a failed democracy. All Israeli citizens are members of the National Health Plan, and everybody has access. And the joke fell into an ignorance that was a part of this larger, of this larger narrative. But to the substantive issue... You know, the reality is, is that Israel's now close to 70% vaccination of everybody over the age of 16. And Palestinians, they're not an independent state, so they have some autonomy, but they're not independent. We still have overarching control between the Jordan and the Mediterranean, and we, we insist on it because there was no peace treaty. So we do have a responsibility in Gaza. What could Gaza do? So did we have a responsibility that we didn't live up to? Is this joke maybe a little painful because it's pointing to something that we should have done? It's, it's an interesting question because the critique of Israel in relation to COVID and the Palestinians is based on two aspects. One is the legal, one is the moral. The legal has very little weight. The Oslo Accords, which are still binding, grants full autonomy to the Palestinians on health matters. Uh, the Palestinian Authority in the past made it clear to Israel that it's not interested in taking direction from us. But the moral argument does have weight. The moral argument is what we should be taking seriously, and we should consider that binding on us. Now, but here again, I think it's a little more nuanced. It's not an open and shut case, because the first moral responsibility that a, a state has is to its own citizens. We are still in the process of fulfilling our moral responsibility to vaccinate our citizens. I think we have nothing to be ashamed of. And you know, every time we have a success, we don't have to feel like the Palestinians are this hump on our back. Ah, but what about the Palestinians? Wait a minute. Right now, we have a moral responsibility to deal with our citizens. But as you say, we are approaching the point where we're about to fulfill that moral responsibility. I do not hear a conversation in Israel that's asking about what do we do the morning after. I very much appreciate both the distinction between the legal and the moral and your commitment to the moral and not to saying I have a get-out-of-jail card because of the, of the legal. What you're saying is that there's a complex moral. It's not a legal versus moral. There's a complex moral issue here. And obviously, every state has to give preference morally, not just legally, to its citizens. That's what it means. You know, even in the United States, every state has its own story. But here, the only area where I feel a little disagreement with you is your statement that we're closely approaching the moment where this should have been activated. I think it should have been activated a while ago. I think when fatality is, um, it almost doesn't exist when 60 and below, I think we could have said, we're going to first vaccinate everybody 60 and above, but before we open it up to everybody else, let's have a conversation. I think part of what we should have done is that from the beginning, we should have had a conversation from the beginning about our moral responsibility. Like, my Judaism is very much like yours, in which 
the legal doesn't excuse me for moral responsibility. But if that's the case, I have to have a, more, a serious moral conversation, which talks about, okay, there are my, is my moral responsibilities to my citizens. There's my moral responsibilities to everybody who's here under my control. When do I activate what? We didn't have that conversation here. And I think we could have spoken to Pfizer. We turned Israel into their laboratory. You have socialized, centralized medicine. Pfizer, you're going to benefit from this. And through that, by the way, the world, to know what this is or not, helping to overcome fear of the vaccine, etc. But still, I think our moral responsibility from the beginning should have asked, okay, how do we deal with this? We're going to start here. The minute we get to this number, the minute we get to this age, now Palestinians, here it is. Now let's do all of yours, people up to the age of 60. Then we're going to go staggering it. I think a moral conversation, and, and you're right, it's not simple. What comes first at which point? But having that moral conversation, even if it would not have stopped Che's joke, a serious moral conversation, for not for public relations campaign, but is worthy of us because Part of our return to power is our return to the public sphere and our willingness to be judged by the highest moral standard of the public sphere. And here it wasn't an issue of security and, and survival in the Middle East. Here was a moment where we could have gone high. And I believe Jewish values should have required us to go high. And I think we lost that moment. And I think we made it easy for people to ask what's going on here. You can't boast and be so exposed. I think there was something missing. And I think, as distinct from you, much of Israeli society played the legal and didn't ask themselves, what's their moral? Let's take a short break. And when we return, Ilana Steinhain will join us. In a year of big challenges, it's important to come back to big ideas. The kinds of ideas that inspire, ideas that start conversations, ideas that both speak powerfully to the moment and help us envision a better world. That's why the Shalom Hartman Institute is so proud to introduce you to Sources, a journal of Jewish ideas, launched this spring, available both in print and online. The first issue tackles current events and systemic challenges alike, including whatever happened to Jewish pluralism, whether Jewish continuity is fundamentally sexist, and the communal implications of life in an extended pandemic. As a listener to this podcast, you're invited to claim your free copy of the inaugural edition of Sources. To get it delivered to your door or to your inbox, visit sourcesjournal.org today. Once again, that's sourcesjournal.org. Thank you. Ilana, it's great to be with you again. What classic sources do you have today that you think can enrich and shape a way of thinking about this profoundly frustrating and complicated question? So before I get to classic sources, I just want a Jewish source, which is <laughs> the producer of Saturday Night Live, Lauren Michaels. Do you know what his last name is? His last name by birth is Lipowitz, okay? Lipowitz. Lipowitz, he's a Jew. There's an internal Jewish element here about what happened on SNL. The question of what does it mean for a Jewish producer to let that joke go? And who's vulnerable and who's powerful? And there's going to be a reckoning, not just with Michael Che. This is a reckoning that people have about the New York Times critiques of Israel, now SNL's critiques of Israel, that these are Jews who are actually at the helm 
of these conversations. So I, I just want to put that in the bucket in terms of what's happening in American Jewish life, where there are some Jews who say, yeah, of course, this is a fine joke on my show. And then there are other Jews who are petitioning that it's anti-Semitic, right? There's a real American Jewish story. In terms of the classical sources that I want to talk about, you know, in moments where I really can't figure out what to do, I look at the book of Proverbs, Mishle. <laughs> Because it's got everything in it. It's got everything in it. Let me tell you. Because what's happening in that book is the author is trying to explain how to have common sense and deep wisdom in a world that can be very confusing and full of foolishness. So I want to take two different pieces from Proverbs, from Mishlei, and they track the conversation that you've been having, meaning it's not necessarily going to give us big new insights, but there's something to finding where we can see this in tradition, and it allows us to excavate it more. So I'm going out of order in the book. Proverbs 26. It could be written about this moment, literally. Verse 17 to 19, here's how it goes. Someone who passes by and gets involved in a conflict that is not their own is like one who grabs a dog by the ears, like a madman who casts firebrands, arrows, and death. That's the person who deceives their neighbor and says, but I'm just joking. To me, these verses kind of sprang to mind. Like a person who grabs a dog by the ears. What does it look like to come into a conflict and not actually be able to describe it in its fullness, not the nuance, not the back and forth, not the tensions, not the realities, but you just take the ears, right? Like you just take the ears and what you've done is you've opened up a hornet's nest and you say, but I'm just joking. I'm just playing. And to me, the piece here that worries me is the firebrands, the arrows, the death. That question of who gets hurt if you don't make the joke, but who gets hurt if you do make the joke. And I think that's part of what's going on here is that there's an assumption that it's worse if you don't make the joke meaning you're leaving the Palestinians in the dust if you don't make the joke. And if you do make the joke, no harm done. And I think that really goes to the question of whether this is punching up or punching down. And I have to say that if you watched SNL, and I'm not a TV critic, but if you watched SNL for the last four years, that segment was all about Trump. It was all about Trump all the time. I don't know what the percentages of Michael Che's jokes were about Trump on that show, but it's interesting to feel like, oh, how many weeks are we into Biden's presidency? And instead of making fun of Trump, we're making fun of Israel, right? It tells a certain story about what substitutes for what, and it raises a certain nervousness. Like, no, you're not punching up. We're feeling very vulnerable. Jews are feeling very vulnerable. And the story of anti-Semitism from the right and anti-Semitism of the left, you're saying it's a new Pittsburgh. I mean, even to have Pittsburgh as like a model, we are worried. And I'm saying we, I am worried. Okay. That's one side of the conversation. But before, just on that one side, isn't your statements about all humor? Here, you and Yossi are telling me, Daniil, you're too relaxed. It's like something just happened here. You're not noticing it. I hear you. But really, 
Here's what I'll tell you. I don't think Michael Che is any great enemy of the Jewish people. I will say that on a lot of counts, okay? I don't know him personally, but I don't think he's any big enemy of the Jewish people. I think the fact is that when somebody steps into your own ethical quagmire and they make a joke about it and it makes you look bad in ways that you desperately don't want to look bad and think are libelous. That's the point. It's scary. It's scary. It's scary because there is an ethical quagmire here and it's not whole cloth and it's not the jokes that people make about Jews being self-deprecating. Political satire is on the one sense humor. On the other hand, it's a very, very potent tool. Can I tell you something? I kind of just want a, a smarter and more nuanced joke. (laughs) Meaning, I'll be honest, like, I don't think you can't joke about anything, but this joke, it wasn't smart, it wasn't nuanced, it was actually just a dig that misrepresented reality. I don't know what a smarter, more nuanced joke would be, but a smarter, more nuanced joke. So I'm going to put it right there. Something that says, I really know this culture. I really know the back and forth. I really know the tensions. This was a low-hanging fruit that kind of just misrepresented what's going on. But then, you know, the book of Proverbs has everything in it. It also has stuff that's not going to be as much about my own feelings of, well, don't make that joke. That's not right. That's libelous. That's the wrong thing to do. Proverbs 15. I'm feeling this one too. And it goes like this, starting in verse 30. The light of the eyes gladdens the heart and a good report inflates the bones. The ear that listens to the rebuke of life lives among the wise. One who refuses correction despises their own soul, but one who listens to rebuke gains understanding. At last, the fear of the Lord is the instruction of wisdom, and before honor goes humility. And I'm I'm thinking about how inflated our bones are right now. As Jews, as Israelis, look at what we've done. This is incredible. This is magnificent. The vaccines, and everybody and their sister is getting a vaccine. My Israeli colleagues, I'm so jealous right? And proud. And then right after the next verse says, what about listening to rebuke? Meaning how hard is it to listen to rebuke in a moment where you're feeling like you're on a high and you're inflated? And I'm not saying Michael Che's rebuke was the right rebuke, but as we said, the question of, you know, Israeli responsibility for Palestinians in terms of the vaccine, it's an important question. And the way that the two of you were putting this in terms of questions of universalism versus particularism, do we say it's, I take care of my own first and then I get to the others? Or do we say that toch kidei, even within my taking care of my own, I have to take care of the other? There's something here that actually has to be spoken about. And I know that as an American Jew, it's much easier to get into the question of what are the, what, what's the ramifications of this for anti-Semitism. But what I love about your conversation is because you are Israeli and because you're living in the country that gets to make this decision, you can think about like, wait, wh- what's the kernel of truth here in terms of the Palestinians and how do we want to deal with that? And I actually think the American Jewish community would be much richer if we could have both conversations simultaneously. And I think it's really, really hard to do. And then one last thing that I'll say, which is is also the rebuke in in a time when we're doing something so good in the world, it really stings more because there was a time where you could say, okay, we created the cherry tomato and then the Israeli-Palestinian conflict is something separate. But the fact that it's all 
within one story is going to make it harder and harder to be able to fight both the anti-Semitic overtones, but also the moral responsibility in thinking about it. I know, but that's it, that's the beauty of the Proverbs verse you brought, you know. The better you are, it's someone else is going to say, well, what else? It's part of the story. And maybe Proverbs is telling us that you just have to get used to it a little bit. Yeah, I, I think my push would be, you know, for the people, for our listeners, is that in the American context, I'd really love for us to be able to have both of these conversations at the same time. Okay. That it's not just about the joke and whether it's wrong. It's also about the ethical responsibility and how do you deal with that. And it's not just about the ethical responsibility and what we did for Pals. It's also about the joke and what it does to public perception and, and what it does to a growing movement in America. This, like so many things, requires a level of sophistication and complexity and nuance that so much of our public discourse lacks. And the question is, is this just about Jews and Israel at this time? Or how much of our conversation needs to be thought about in a different way? Yossi and Ilana, thank you so much. It's a pleasure, as always, to be with you. For Heaven's Sake is a product of the Shalom Hartman Institute. It was produced by David Svi Kalman and edited by Tali Cohen, and music is provided by SoCal. To learn more about the Shalom Hartman Institute, visit us online at shalomhartman.org. We want to know what you think about the show. You can write to us at forheavenssake at shalomhartman.org. Subscribe to our show in the Apple Podcast app, Spotify, and everywhere else that podcasts are available. Shalom. <laughs>